we would like to look at uh, the first 14 verses in Luke chapter 14. Do you remember 14? Luke 14. And we might express this as um, three Sabbath day lessons that Jesus taught. He taught them the lesson about caring, about compassion. Taught them a lesson about humility. And he also taught a lesson about benevolent hospitality. When we begin Luke 14, Jesus has been invited by a leader of the Pharisees, a ruler. We're not told his name, but it was on the Sabbath day. And feasts on the Sabbath were a common thing among the Jews. Uh, It wasn't involved in work. Of course, they had to prepare their food the day before. And so Jesus came along. And there was a sick man in the audience, as well as scribes or lawyers and Pharisees. We don't know what kind of a ruler this man who was a host was. He just called a ruler. And so he could have been a member of the Sanhedrin, the uh, Jewish high Supreme Court, we might call it. He may have been a, a ruler of the synagogue, but generally they were called a ruler of the synagogue. He's just called a ruler. Whatever, he was a, a dignified, impressive, important man of the Pharisee community. And so they are there together. <clears throat> it's probably three months before the cross when this takes place on the east side of the Jordan River in Perea. And so we notice that they were watching Jesus. Now, this suggests that they may have had some ulterior motive. Maybe, and we can only speculate, maybe they invited this man who had the dropsy to come in their midst and they were going to use him and Jesus to trap, entrap Jesus. And it really, it's not beyond the Pharisees to do this. Let me give you two or three examples of that. Well, let's see, we're in Luke 14. Look at Luke 11. It might be a page back. And uh, verses 53 and 54. Jesus has been uh, accusing these folks of not doing right, and they want to sort of get even. The last two verses in Luke 11 says, And when he was come out from thence, from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press upon him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him to catch something out of his mouth. They wanted him to uh, contradict himself. They wanted to hear something from him that might contradict the law of Moses. And so they, they spoke on a number of subjects, asking questions. And, but the purpose and the motivation behind it all was to try to get Jesus to say something that they could hold against him. And you remember, too, showing that this was not beyond them if this was a case of duplicity. When Jesus was on trial, who was it that bribed false witnesses? Well, it was these uh, enemies of the Lord, Sadducees and Pharisees who were involved there. And to you remember in John 8, 
Jesus was in the temple early in the morning. He'd come there to teach. He had an audience. His teaching was interrupted by a group of men who brought a woman to him. And they said, this woman had just been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commands that such should be stoned. Now, what do you say? Well, when we turn over to John 8, we read verse 6, we find out what their motive was. Maybe this doesn't have to be told. We could kind of figure it out. John 8 is what I should have said. Why didn't they bring the man? Why did they just bring the woman? If the law says stone them, the first witness was to do that. But Jesus wasn't there. So why didn't they carry out the law? Uh, it was because they wanted to get Jesus in a hot spot. Verse 6, And this they said, trying him. Other occasions they tried him. This is one of them. That they might have whereof to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. So they were just trying to entrap Jesus. Now maybe that's the case here in Luke 14. But we're not told so. <clears throat> Jesus, however, knew the man, knew his heart, knew that he was not involved in this uh, duplicity, if that's what it was, and he had compassion for the man. Jesus took hold of the man, healed him, and then let him go. Jesus gave the personal touch that meant so much to people. When Jesus healed the blind, there were many times when he touched them. Didn't have to touch them. He healed the lepers. Didn't have to. In fact, uh, people stayed away from the lepers. But he touched them. When the officer came from Cana, his son was sick in Cana. Jesus, uh, uh, Capernaum, excuse me. Jesus was in Cana, about 18 or 20 miles away. Jesus didn't have to be where the son was. Never had met him before, but he did heal him. What we're trying to say is that Jesus had the power to heal people without touching them. Even Lazarus, when he came into the cemetery, he called out, Lazarus, come forth. Well, now, the body didn't hear him. The spirit of Lazarus was in Hades, the realm of all departed spirits. And, he, and, uh, and uh, Lazarus in Hades responded, came back, entered into the body, and he came alive again, was resurrected. So Jesus didn't have to touch anyone to heal them, but he did, including the blind and others. He conveyed a, a warmth, a sympathy, an affection to the lonely and the needy, and that's a good example for all of us. AT&T used to have a commercial on television. They'd say, reach out and touch somebody today. Of course, they wanted you to use their, their telephone service, call long distance, and they'd charge you for it. But it was a good idea. Reach out and touch somebody. Even if it's a family that's across the nation, that brings cheer and comfort to people like that. <clears throat> Jesus, very warm, very affectionate, sympathetic Queen Victoria you know the British Queen was almost entirely dependent upon her husband they called him Prince Consort that was Prince Albert but when Albert died all too early 
too young. Queen Victoria was grief-stricken, with a grief which lasted for many years. She just sort of stayed in. She didn't get out and mix with the people, at least for some time. And all of her sorrow was summed up in a thing she once said, I have no one to call me Victoria now. She had a lot of people to call her Your Majesty, but no one to call her by her first name like Albert had done. It's those uh, first name relationships that we have that mean so much. Those little personal things that help us all. And Jesus knew the value. What it meant to people to know someone cared that much, even the Son of God. Before Jesus healed this man who had the dropsy, uh, he asked those who were watching him, and that's the way Luke put it, they were watching Jesus, going to see what he was going to do. He asked them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But he knew what the answer was going to be because they had said, no, it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath. That was their human decision. But they didn't answer that question. It was sort of an awkward question for them. For the lawyers and the Pharisees to answer. If they had declared it lawful, then they defeated their plot. They were trying to watch Jesus and catch him in something. And according to the rabbinic regulations, it was not lawful. On the other hand, if they had declared it unlawful, this might lead to a charge of indifference to human suffering. And so they were sort of, didn't know how to answer, and so they just held their peace. They did not respond. Let me just back up. Luke 13 and 14 on the same page in my Bible. Jesus had healed a woman, but he had done it on the Sabbath day. And the ruler took offense to this, the ruler of the synagogue. And he said, verse 14, And the ruler of the synagogue, being moved with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, answered and said to the multitude, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the day of the Sabbath. That was their attitude. But Jesus put a question to them. You have an ox, you have an ass, it falls into a well, it's in a ditch or wherever. On the Sabbath, do you just leave him there all, all day till the next day? No. They recognized that an act of mercy was an exception. And they, of course, responded. They held their peace. So Jesus' question, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a well and will not straightway? draw him up on a Sabbath day. That asserts that the Sabbath law did not forbid acts of worship, of mercy. And their own procedure justified their action. Remember in 1 John three seventeen, talking about love and compassion, one who has many goods and then he sees a brother in need and shuts up his compassion. First John three seventeen. 
But whoso hath the world's goods, and beholdeth his brother in need, and shutteth up his compassion from him, how doth the love of God abide in him? It's the love of God that brings out compassion. And when the one does not show compassion, that shows, he's showing, he doesn't have the love of God abiding in him. So Jesus taught a lesson, a lesson of compassion. Mercy and compassion go together. And then observing the behavior of the guests gave Jesus an occasion to teach a lesson on humility. The folks came in those days and they didn't sit at tables and on chairs or a few like we have. They reclined. They usually had a, a big couch. Uh, no, I guess you call it a cushion. Put it on the floor. Big enough for three people. And it was be shaped uh, in the form of a U, like that. And everybody knew where the place of honor was and the place of least honor. They just knew where that was. The place of honor was at the base of the U. And as you worked up, you were getting further and further away from the place of honor. The place Jesus called the lowest place. So they knew where it was located. And so he noticed how the people were scrambling to get to that place of honor as they came in. Maybe elbowing one another to get ahead, maybe leading interference for someone else. But Jesus noticed this. And he commented on the undignified scramble for the places of highest honor. He said in effect that it would be more satisfying to be told to move to a more exalted seat than to experience the shame of being told to seek a lower place. And that was his lesson. Jesus was not giving a piece of worldly advice. He was not writing a book about etiquette. You know, what should we do? Which fork? What spoon? I never did learn that. Uh, what should you do here? But Jesus is teaching man to be genuinely humble. Humility. To exalt oneself will lead to ultimate abasement. And the way to true exaltation is humility. He that will exalt himself shall be abased, Jesus said. He that would abase himself shall be exalted. Man in general, for the most part, is too full of himself. He really doesn't seem to have place for God. The rich man said that he did not believe in prayer. He had everything he needed. Didn't need to ask anybody else for anything. So there was no need for him to pray for any favors. Well, there was a principal of the Scottish University that was present and heard that. He says, there's one thing that you might pray for. And the rich man said, what's that? And the man said, you might pray for humility. Are we humble enough to thank God for his many mercies, his loving kindness, his blessings? The very last part, the last verse in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life, David said. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David recognized 
every step he made, every day he lived, God's mercy was helping him. Jesus has given the world the perfect example of humility. That is, of deity coming as a servant to bear the sins of his creatures. Now, that's humility. He came to seek and to save those that were lost, that are lost. When Queen Victoria, we'll refer to her again, resided at Balmoral Castle, she sometimes enjoyed a walk in the district incognito. You know, put on these dark glasses and whatever she wore. But on one occasion when she slipped out by side gate, she was accompanied, of course, by a security man who fell back behind, followed a little distance. And along the road, she came on a flock of sheep being shepherded by a boy who shouted at her, Keep out of the way, stupid old woman. The queen just smiled, didn't say anything. And when her guard came along, he informed the lad that she was the queen of Britain. Well, said the boy, she should dress like a queen. I guess trying to excuse himself, not being courteous and respectful to anybody, whether the queen or not. Well, there were those who did not recognize Jesus, the Son of God. The King of kings and the Lord of lords because he came in a humble form. His deity, his glory were partly veiled by his flesh. But he gave us an excellent example of humility. A third lesson that he gave us in this text, not one to miss an opportunity, Jesus also gives advice to hosts and hostesses. In fact, here's a man that's invited him into his home, and he says, now the next time you have a, a feast, here's what you need to do. When you make out your, uh, your guest list, don't invite your rich neighbors. Don't invite your best friends. Put on that list those that are poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. See that your guest list includes those who cannot require, that is, pay back, reciprocate your invitation. Now, the Bible teaches, 1 Peter 4, 9, for one place, that hospitality to all brethren is a Christian virtue. Using hospitality one to another without murmuring, Peter wrote. Offer hospitality. Use hospitality is what he's saying. But here, in Jesus' teaching, the emphasis that he places is more on charity than sociability. The poor, they're not able to invite you back into their home. The blind, the maimed, the lame. That recompense of blessing that you'll receive and make certain you're going to be blessed for it. It won't be in their home, but it's promised to come in the resurrection of the just. Actually, there's no generosity in giving to people who make a recompense. I mean, we're receiving back what we gave. 
After an evening dinner in the home of brother and sister A.M. Burton, a friend who was invited to the dinner read this text from Luke 14, right up to where we are. And then he challenged his host and his hostess, just like Jesus challenged his host, and advised them that they ought to invite people who cannot have them in their home. Well, after some prayerful consideration by Brother and Sister Burton, they extended invitations to 12 unwed expectant mothers who were temporarily in a community center, community home, to come and spend an evening with them. After dinner, Brother Burton read from the Bible and a study followed, and they all enjoyed that. And you can imagine how these young women, away from the home, perhaps maybe for the first time in dire circumstances, going to experience something they had never experienced before, they needed someone who was warm, caring, sympathetic, and affectionate. And they enjoyed that evening so much that they planned other evenings for these young women to return. And as a result, though this was not the primary purpose for inviting them, some eventually obeyed the gospel. That's an added compensation that came in this life. Giving to aid the poor in foreign lands is very commendable. But let me ask us ourselves this question. Are our homes open to those in our community who cannot reciprocate our hospitality? Jesus is teaching us the lesson about compassion, about humility, and about benevolent hospitality. The question was asked in Micah 6 and 8, What does the Lord require of thee but to do justly? to love mercy or loving-kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And Jesus is just reinforcing what we learned from that Old Testament prophet. Are we following our Lord each step of the way? Well, he would encourage us to do that. We want to sing a song of invitation for any who may need to come to obey the gospel, ask for the prayers make a confession or whatever. We stand ready to help in any way we can. Shall we stand and sing?